0: Hey, i um, good to be with you this morning. I want to ask you guys, do you guys remember reading that classic book, Scarlet Letter, The Scarlet Letter? Anybody remember reading that in high school? Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote it. It was published back in 1850, and it was set in the 1600s in uh, really the, the Puritan Massachusetts Bay Colony. And if you don't recall, um, the main character was this woman who had a child out of wedlock. And as a result of her sin, they forced her to wear this scarlet letter on her chest. So that no matter where she went, people would identify her for her sin and her shame. Can you imagine that? Like everybody sees you. And the first thing they see is your sin and your shame. You know, we live in a, in a world that seems to love to identify people based on their sin and their shame. And while we may not force people to wear scarlet letters, a lot of us are burdened by the shame of our past sin. Well, fortunately, God's not that way. And, and He came to um, remove the shame from us. And He has the power to redeem the most sinful things in our lives. And that's what we want to look at this morning. It's this incredible story of God's redemption of God's redemption, and um, if you've been with us, we're going through the book of Joshua. And um, if you you don't know the background, it's the Israelites are making their way to the promised land, and um, so far we've seen that they're camped um, right outside of that on the eastern shore of Jericho, and they're about to enter in. So we're gonna be in Joshua chapter two. If you have a church Bible you wanna follow along, page 208, feel free to open that up. So I want to begin with a map, of course. If you've been around, you know I love maps, and it just helps to bring it together for me. This is one that I shared with you last week. And um, again, just to get the context, right here is basically where the Israelites are encamped. Now there are millions of them camped out right there. Right there, that's Mount Nebo. It's really hard to see from where where you are. That's where Moses had gone up on the mountain, and he had been able to overlook into the Promised Land, but he never got to go, and he died on that mountain. Now, um, right here is Jericho. So the Israelites are about to enter into the Promised Land, but they got this formidable city standing in their way, and it's Jericho. And they have these really thick walls. It's one of the, the oldest cities um, known in the world. You can go there. Carolyn and I have been there, and um, you can see the remains. But they had these really thick inner walls and really thick outer walls as well. It was super fortified. Now, um, they're going to cross over. Here's the Dead Sea, and they're going to cross over, and the first thing that they're going to encounter is the city of Jericho. So that's, that's where we are in Joshua chapter 2. Now, Joshua gets two spies, so he gathers two of his guys, and he wants them to go into the land, go into Jericho, into the city, and spy it out just to see what's going on. What's the temperature of the people, if you will? And so they go. Now, they go to an interesting place when they're in the city. They actually go to the house of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. Now, Sort of a strange place to hang out, but it makes sense on a couple of fronts, I think. One, if you think about it, so you got these two guys and they're going to this house. Well, guys were going in and out of that place all the time, day or night. And so they wouldn't have drawn a lot of attention to themselves, correct? So that's one of the reasons. But here's the greater reason. God had a plan to redeem Rahab. He already had a plan for Rahab's life and he wanted to redeem her and he was going to redeem her family as well and then use her to help redeem the land and even to redeem mankind. It's a great story that we're going to see unfold over the weeks to come. Now, somehow the king of Jericho got word that the spies were at Rahab's house. We don't know exactly how he got word. Maybe it was from some guy that was already there at Rahab's and and he saw these strange-looking men come in because they probably wouldn't have looked like the other city folk and maybe they talked a little different. Maybe he overheard what they were talking about and went to the king. I don't know for sure and it doesn't really matter. But the bottom line is the king got word that these two spies were at Rahab's house. And so he dispatched some of his men to go to Rahab to tell her to hand over the spies so that he could bring them back. So that's what happens. And the king's men, they go to Rahab's house and, and she answers the door and, and they say, we, we understand that there are a couple of Israelite spies here and we want you to release them to us on word of the king. Now Rahab does something that, that's extraordinary. She puts her own life on the line To protect these two spies. She risks her own life. And so she tells the men. She says, yes, these two men, they they did come here. And um, where they're from, I don't know. And where they were going, I'm not quite sure. But they were here. But then they left right about dusk. They wanted to get out of here right before the city gates closed. And so if you hurry up, I think you could probably catch up with them. So off the king's men go. Now, in reality, what she had done, she had hidden the two spies up on the roof of her house under some flax stalks. Now, flax was used, like flax seed, for a number of things, but one to make linen. And then the stalks were used to make rope. And that's going to be really important as we see the story unfold. So we're going to pick up with her going onto the roof right before, um, you know, Everybody goes to bed that night. We're in verse 9. So we're in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og The two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God, for the Lord your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. We see that the the stories of God's power and his presence And his provision have made it both near and far, near and far. People have heard the stories of God's hand upon the Israelites for the last 40 years. And the people in Jericho and really the surrounding land, they know that they cannot stand up to a God like that. And so they are overwhelmed by fear because they're looking, again, right across the Jordan River on the eastern shore, and they see the Israelites camped out there. Now, there are, again, are millions of Israelites. This is an intimidating force. And so they see them camp. They've heard the stories, and it says that their hearts just melt with fear. They melt with fear. It, it talks about them losing their courage. Now, I imagine that they put on a good face, a good front, right? They probably pretended like, oh, no, you know, I'm tough, I'm strong, I've got this. But inside, they were dying. Their hearts were melting. Have you ever known someone like that? Like on the outside, they look strong and they look courageous. They look like they've got it all together. But on the inside, they're just melting with fear. They're overwhelmed with fear. Maybe, maybe that's been you at some point in your life. You know, what happens oftentimes is um, we, keep, we take our focus off of God. Last week, we talked about, how God can counteract our fear if if we'll just have faith. And if we'll focus on the promise of his presence, then fear begins to diminish. See, when you have great faith, great fear diminishes. With great faith, great fear diminishes. And these people didn't have great faith in God. They cowered, they cowered just in the thought of what he might do to them. They were overwhelmed with fear. Now, um, remember what what, uh, God said to Joshua and then to the Israelites? Remember this command that he gave them last week? What did he say? He said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Because his presence was going to be with them. He promised his presence. And so that was the source of their strength and their courage. Not, Not their ability to fight their faith that God would fight for them. And so that's what we see now. All the people are cowering, they're overwhelmed with fear except one, and her name's Rahab. Her name's Rahab, and and listen, we know that Rahab became a woman of faith. Look at verse 11. She says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Your God is the God heaven above and the earth below. Somehow this woman chose faith over fear. She chose to have faith in this God of the Israelites instead of fear. Everybody else chose fear. She chose faith. Now, I'm not sure why it was other than, than God just had his hand upon her, and, and he planned to use her and redeem her. So we see this continued interaction with the spies because she's taken a great leap of faith, right? She's putting her life on the line to protect these men. And, um, It's her faith in action. If you look at verses 12 and 13, you see Rahab negotiating with these two spies. And she strikes a deal with them. She says, all right, look, if I can save you, will you promise to save me and to save my entire household? Will you do it? And so in verse 14, we see that they have an agreement. They're like, yep, we'll we'll do it. And then she, she tells them the plan beginning in, in 15 because we, we see that her house is strategically located. It's built into the city wall, so it, it's perfect for an escape route for these two spies. And so what she, she does is she gets some, some ropes. You remember the flax stalks and the importance of that? Well, she made rope. That was one of the things that they did to make a living in her household. And she made this rope, and it happened to be red. It happened to be red. And she threw it down, and she tied it off, and she said, here's the deal. You guys go down the rope, and then go into the hills, and wait there for three days. Three days, because in three days, these guys would have gone out and not found you, and they'll journey back in. Wait till they have returned, and then go back to your people. And so... They're about to do that, but they tell her, they warn her. They said, look, we will not keep this oath if you don't keep your word. If you break your word, then we're not going to be held to it. You will suffer like everybody else in Jericho. You have to keep your word. And one more thing, you need to take this rope and tie it to your window so that when the Israelites, any of our Israelite brothers come, they'll see the rope, that red scarlet rope. And that will be a sign to them to spare everyone in this house. But if you venture out, you're going to face the same consequence as the other people in Jericho. You will face God's judgment. So that's exactly what transpires. And they make their way down the rope. They go hide for three days. After three days, the the king's men um, return. The two spies go back to uh, Joshua, and this is the report that they give. In verse 24, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land, the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Again, remember the command, be strong and courageous. You've been given this command. And now all of a sudden you hear this report from the two spies. Don't you think you, like you start bowing up a little? Like, it's not so hard to be strong and courageous when you know that these guys went there and they reported back. These, these folks, they're, they're melting in fear of us. Victory is ours. God's given us the whole land. You can be strong and courageous when you have a report like that. And so that's what we start seeing happening. Now, Rahab's story is a beautiful story of redemption, and it's really just part of God's story. If you look at the Bible, it's really one story of God's redemption. That's what it is. It's his story of his plan to redeem fallen mankind. You know the story of Adam and Eve and how they didn't trust God or obey him. And as a result, sin entered the world. That's what it is. When we don't trust and obey God, that's sin. And so as a result of sin coming, death also entered. And with death came bloodshed. What color is blood? It's red. It's red. And so I want you to see the significance of this red thread of redemption throughout the entire Bible from the very beginning, and you'll see it till the very end. It's one story of redemption. Think about um, what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Remember when God was bringing the plagues against Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Remember the last plague? What was it? Well, it involved blood didn't it red scarlet blood and and god said to the israelites i will spare you and your household but here's what you need to do you need to kill an innocent lamb and take the blood of the lamb and smear it over the doorposts of your houses and when the angel of death comes he will see the blood of the lamb the scarlet red blood of the lamb and he will pass over your house and you will all be saved you will be spared And that's exactly what took place. Move forward. Forty years. The spies go in. They stay at Rahab's. The king dispatches some men to capture them and ultimately to kill them. How are they saved? They're saved by a red scarlet rope. Rahab. The Israelites are going to destroy Jericho. How is she saved? She's saved by the red scarlet rope. Us, how are we saved? We're saved by the red scarlet blood of Jesus Christ who died for us to redeem us and to restore us to this perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is what it says in in 1 John 1, 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so it's referring to Jesus. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' His son cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. The Israelites, they placed their faith in God and the red blood of the lamb spared them from death and saved them. The spies placed their faith in God and the red blood rope spared them and saved them from death. Rahab again placed her faith in God, and the red rope spared her and saved her and her entire household from death. We'll see that transpire. And we place our faith in God, and the shed red blood of Jesus saves us from death. Now, We may experience a physical death, right? Most people will. But that will just be momentary if you have faith in Jesus Christ. You'll experience physical death, but immediately we're told we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And there will be this incredible peace, this incredible joy and euphoria in his presence where all your cares, all your worries, they just go away. That's the gift of redemption that we have through the blood of Jesus. And we see this thread throughout scripture. It's one story of God's redemption. Now, um, it just continues to get better. I don't know if, some of you guys may not know all of Rahab's story, or maybe you've forgotten some of it, so I'll remind you just in case. But Rahab ended up turning from her way of prostitution. And we don't have all the details of this, In scripture but we know that she she turned from that way and she ended up marrying an Israelite by the name of Salmon and his name was Salmon and so Rahab and Salmon have a son and his name is Boaz. Boaz, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. If you want to learn about Boaz go read about him in the book of Ruth. It's not a long big book. It's a great read. Read the book of Ruth And um, he ends up marrying Ruth, who was a widow, and he is known as the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer, a great story. So then Boaz and Ruth, they have a son by the name of Obed. Obed has a son by the name of Jesse. Jesse has a number of sons. One of them happens to be named David. And David becomes the second king of Israel. And it's through the the line of of David, through the genealogy of David, that the promised Messiah would come. The one true king, the savior of the world, would come through King David. And we know him to be Jesus. Jesus. Now, here's what I I find um, especially encouraging when we look at God's um, redemptive plan. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, There's a genealogy there. And here's why this is so intriguing to me. So Matthew is writing to an audience of Jewish people. That's his his focus group. And in the Jewish culture, if you were making your genealogy, you would not mention a woman. Only men would be mentioned in the genealogy. Now think about it. This is the, the human genealogy of Jesus Christ, the one true Son of God, right? There are four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. That in and of itself is crazy, all right? It was unheard of in their day and in their culture. Here's what's even more crazy, I think. So the first one mentioned is Tamar. Well, she prostituted herself. The second woman mentioned is Rahab. We know her to be a prostitute. The, The third one is Ruth. I kind of like Ruth, you know, but she was a widow. You know, she had her own struggles and things of that nature. And then the fourth one was Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife, who King David had an adulterous affair with. So of the four women that were mentioned, three of them were sexually immoral. Two of them were prostitutes. Now, think about this. Like, if you're putting together your family tree— For everybody to read, are you going to put Grandma the prostitute in that list? (laughs) Like, I mean, no, I wouldn't. You know, I try to cover that up somehow. You know, but like, I'm not going to make a big show of it. And hey, you you thought Grandma was a prostitute? Well, what about this other one? Like, we got all kinds of prostitutes and adulterers and everything in our family line, and we're proud of it. Like, that's in essence. It seemed like what God was doing here. But here's the thing. God was just showing his power of redemption. That he loves to take people who are broken, but who come to faith in him and and not mark them with some scarlet letter and help them be help or make sure that they're defined by their sin and their shame. No, he loves to change that and, and and change that scarlet letter of shame into a scarlet letter of victory. And, and his goal is to lift them up based on their faith in him, this gift of faith that he has given them. And so he is, he is lifting up these women, specifically Rahab. And if it wasn't enough to mention her in the genealogy of Jesus, he mentions her two more times in the New Testament. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, it's often called um, the, the, um, the Faith Hall of Fame. The Faith Hall of Fame. And they have all these Great people of faith mentioned in there. And you know who's mentioned? Rahab. Rahab is. And so we see this. Chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And then she's mentioned again in James chapter 2, if you look at verses 25 and 26, it says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? See, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We're living in a moment where it seems like people are quick to wanna label us with some kind of scarlet letter. That if you mess up, or or maybe it would be better put, when you mess up, your sin will mark you and you will be marked and scorned and shamed. Like that's the world we live in. And in, in this specific moment, you know, there is no grace. When you mess up, that's how people are going to label you. And even if, if you messed up a long time ago, or, or maybe you had ancestors who messed up, it doesn't matter. You're going to be marked with some type of letter of shame, or you're going to be canceled altogether because you messed up. That's the culture. That's the moment that we're living in right here and right now, and there is no grace in it. Fortunately, that's not the way of God, and he can take our brokenness, and through faith in Jesus Christ, he can redeem it. Red is for redemption. Red is for redemption. We see that red strand throughout the Bible. When we look at Rahab's life, we should see our own lives. Rahab represents us in that story. Because we've all messed up. We've all sinned. We've we've all felt the pain of shame, haven't we? And yet, the beauty of, of God is that he didn't come, specifically Jesus Christ did not come to this world to shame us. He came to take our shame upon himself. That's the nature of God. That's the nature of God. And that's what he wants for you and for me. He does not want us to walk around with a shame any longer. And yet, if, if we're honest, there are some of us in here right now that that's, that's you. Like you just feel shame. You feel like you've messed up in the past and there's no way that God or anybody else is going to forgive you. And you feel like when anybody looks at you, all they see is, is your sin and your shame. And that's what defines you but that is not true with God. It's not our past that defines us, it's actually our future. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then what defines you is your future. Like you have been set apart. You have a great and awesome future awaiting you, right here and now and forevermore. I've shared this before, and that First John passage speaks to it, but so often, we define ourselves based on our past. Most of us, if we're honest in here, would define ourselves as sinners. And yet God looks at us through faith in Jesus Christ, he sees the shed blood of Jesus, and he looks at us through that lens, and he calls us saints. He says, you are not a sinner any longer, you are a saint. How many of us are living in the past, viewing ourselves as sinners full of shame, instead of the saints that God not only calls us, but sees us as? This morning, I just want to lead us into prayer time, and I want us to just lay down the sin and the shame. You know, lay it down, because that is a burden you're not meant to carry. That's why Jesus came. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to do that for us. Would you join me? Dear God, we, we recognize that all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We we know that. And, and we hate it. Lord, if we're honest, we, we hate the fact that, that we've messed up, that we haven't ultimately trusted and obeyed you. And if we're honest, we probably are ashamed of some of the things that we've said in the past. Maybe some of the things that we've done in the past. Maybe some of the things we've said and done this morning. And there's, there's a weight of shame that many of us are carrying around. Let's just identify those things and, and just lay them at the feet of Jesus right now. Whatever your, your sin has been, just, just lay it down right now. Just give it over to him. Whatever shame you have felt, just lay it down and give it to him. Now allow him to lift you up. Lift your your eyes to him. Begin to lift your eyes to him. Don't allow that shame to take you down this dark, desperate road of despair that often leads to depression, and even death. Now look up to him right now. Raise your head. See Jesus with his open arms, wanting to lift you up out of that sin and that shame, and to call you a saint. You are a saint through faith in Jesus Christ, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he has done for you. You are a saint. Embrace your sainthood. We ask it all in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.